0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info@thedistrictchurch. Amen. Well, good morning, church. This time we'll go ahead and dismiss our 3- to 5-year-olds and our 6- and 7-year-olds. Uh, as you can hear, I've <clears throat> I lost my voice this week. Uh, it was worse around Thursday, Friday, um, and so it's kind of slowly been coming back. But we'll uh, we'll go until it gives out, and uh, and just see where, where the Lord takes us with it. And so, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, uh, Luke chapter eight, verses nineteen through twenty-one. That's going to be our text for us today, Luke eight nineteen through twenty-one. And so we'll. Look at God's word for the renewal of our mind and, and pray that it transforms um, our lives this morning. Before we look at the scriptures, I couldn't decide um, who to quote first, kind of right out of the gate, like either Hulk Hogan or Vin Diesel. Um, and, and so I went with both. Um, but when in his wrestling career, though Hulk Hogan actually had two blood brothers, he always referred to everyone as Brother. All right, which is good because I can actually kind of sound like him today. Um, But then similarly, Vin Diesel, as Dom Toretto in the Fast and Furious franchise, once said, the most important thing in life will always be family, the people right here, right now. But again, he wasn't just talking about his on-screen sister, Mia, who was always present, but he was including his friends, as he also said, I don't have friends, I have family. In today's message, we see Jesus make a similar claim where he refers to those who hear the word and do it as his mother and brothers, when his real mother and brothers are actually standing outside. And so let's take a look at it together and see what it means to actually be the family of Jesus. Luke eight nineteen through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so I really have two questions to answer for today. is Who were the family members of Jesus and who are the family members of Jesus? And so that's kind of the two questions. Who were the family members of Jesus and who are the family members of Jesus. To kind of begin with the first one, I want to look at one thing, is that we actually know that Jesus did, in fact, have a biological family. To begin with, we know that Jesus had a biological mother through Mary. We also know that Jesus had an adoptive father through Joseph. And we also know that Jesus had siblings, all right? If you didn't know Jesus had siblings, he had siblings, Matthew 13, gives us some of the rundown of Jesus' earthly family. It says this, and they were kind of asking some questions. They, these are people within the town who know of Jesus, but they also know of where Jesus has come from. And so as they're kind of witnessing what Jesus is doing among the people, they're starting to think, how can he do these things when we know where he comes from? And so they say this in verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son is not this is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and are not all his sisters with us so from this verse we know at least from a legal and a biological standpoint Jesus had an earthly father and mother he had four brothers and at least two sisters. We don't know how many sisters he had, but because it's in the plural, we know that he had at least two sisters. Now, after the story about Jesus going to the temple when he was 12, we don't hear anything else about Joseph. So from, from an, uh, an earthly, from a family standpoint, uh, we, we don't know what happens to Joseph after the temple. Um, Many say that he died sometime between Jesus' age of 12 and when Jesus began his ministry at at 30. Because again, simply, he just goes silent. We don't know. Um, There's lots of other speculations as far as what happened with Joseph. But what we can kind of land on is that something happened and it was likely due to a death of Joseph. For the silence alludes to the fact that he's not there anymore. And some of that is, is tied, and that's probably the greatest um, thing that we can kind of hypothesize on because of the fact that Jesus' mother and his brothers and his sisters were accompanying him on his journey because Jesus would be considered the firstborn within the family. And so the rights and provision of the father passes to the firstborn son. And so Jesus would be the one that would then be responsible for taking care of his mother and his brothers and his sisters. So naturally, that would be where we would land why Mary and his brothers and his sisters are accompanying him on his journey. Now some would say, well, they're following him. They're there because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Like, they're there because they believe in him. They're, They're following him for that reason. But That's actually not necessarily the case. We know Mary believes in Jesus because the birth. All right? I mean, she, she believes in Jesus because that was a big ordeal. But we have other scriptures like John 7, verse 5, where when they're talking about Jesus and they're kind of still trying to figure out whether or not he is the Messiah or not, in John 7, verse 5, it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. So we know that this, at least at this point in the stage, prior to his resurrection, prior to his crucifixion, that these four brothers that were mentioned, James, Judas, uh, was it Simon and and, uh, Joseph, do not believe in him. All right, they they don't. and, And again, if anyone has siblings, if your sibling goes around saying, I'm the son of God. I'm perfect, I'm the incarnate God, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one that everything we've been learning about in grade school is pointing to, that's me, alright, if I have a brother, if my older brother came to me and said that, I'm like, no, 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 I've got a list, here's the mailbox bashing that you've done, here's the, like, I'm going to run down the list and say, here's all the reasons why you're not, like, it's hard to get your siblings to believe something good about you, right? Right? And so it would be easy in some ways for them to not believe from a sibling perspective, but we know Jesus was without sin, but they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe in him. Now we know later that at least two of the brothers do believe in Jesus, but it is after his resurrection. It's after his resurrection. We know that James and Judas end up believing in him because James writes the book of James and Judas writes Jude. And so we, we know that, that they had a complete transformation of not just seeing him as half-brother Jesus that we grew up with, but actually seeing the, him as the Son of God who we now enter into a spiritual relationship with as our brother who has introduced us to our Heavenly Father. And so there's a transformation that's hap- that happens there. So that's the biological family of Jesus, but not the only Family of Jesus. We also know that Jesus had and has a spiritual family. And this is where I want to pull you in on the main point of this passage. James and Jude, again, along with their siblings, are technically the family of Jesus, but Jesus here calls others his family. Is he just being like Hulk Hogan or Vin Diesel here? Is he just walking around declaring everyone brother because he doesn't know their name? I mean, according to an interview, that's literally the reason why Hulk Hogan did it. He's like, I just couldn't remember he his name, so I just called him all brother. Is that what Jesus is doing? No, it's not why he does it. Jesus is teaching them a characteristic of the new covenant. James and Jude and Mary don't really become Jesus' true family until after believing in him. And it's through hearing the word of God and doing it. But it's a family, and I'll get to more of that here in a minute. It's a family. It's not just a following. This is a family that we are being ushered into. All right. Most world religions, it's based around a following. It's based around an idea. It's based around a separation of you trying to eventually get to something that you get to attain. But until then, there is no relationship. There is no... Um, inheritance. There is, like, it's, it is, you have to do all of these things to try to earn your way into essentially purchasing your own right to receive the benefits of this distant God. Where in Christianity, it's the complete opposite. While we are distant, this Heavenly Father who sees us from afar, just like the story of the prodigal son, runs to us, to clothe us in his righteousness. It's completely different than any other system that we follow or that we see in the world around us. It is God who initiates the entire thing, and that's why Jesus here is teaching them about this idea of family versus following. Christianity is a family, not merely a a bunch of followers. So I want to break this down for you and, and kind of show you it from the Word of God um, how in, in all of the world there are different types of families, but where do we get the origin of family from? What are we kind of born into that is a sort of an earthly family, but how do we actually arrive at the original family that God intended for all of us? That That's kind of the goal here. And so the first one is to begin with as as someone shared earlier, in the Trinity, the Godhead. God exists as a family, as a family, Father and Son between the Father and Jesus. And so if anyone has walked through the equipped class and has gone through the portion of delighting in the Trinity, this is what everything everything hinges upon the fact that the Father exists in a loving relationship with the Son. And that the Son exists in an eternal, loving relationship with the Father. And that there's also this component with the Holy Spirit that's mixed in. And we, as you know, uh, uh, some of us with, with historical backgrounds in Baptists, we're like, we, we don't know what the Holy Spirit is. <laughs> we don't know what that means. We're, we're still trying to figure that out. Um, but a lot of it is derived by this idea of this relationship between the Father and the Son. And that it's a family that begins with God. Not an earthly or institutionalized construct. It begins with God. Like we call fathers because God calls himself a father. Like that's where that comes from. Like we weren't, you know, like backwoods cavemen at one point, And we were just like, um, you like did something and I arrived. And I'm just going to call you father. And then the father's like. Son, (laughs) like, no, that's not, like, we didn't create that. It was given and bestowed to us by God himself. This is what you will call one another, because it is what he is. The origin and foundation of family begins with God. It begins with God. We call fathers fathers because of God. We call sons because of God. Same with mothers and sisters. The big idea is that God is a family, that God is an eternal family, and that families are established by His idea, by His order, by His design, by His example. And then that moves into this idea of earthly families. We all have an earthly family that God created us into. Every person in this room has come from the union of a father and a mother that produced you. You are their son or daughter. And that's really the second point. Honestly, it's just short and sweet in case you didn't know. Now, I know there are kind of some more complexities around earthly families when it comes to broken families or absent parents or adoption, etc. But everyone still came from a biological father and mother and are considered by that, a daughter or son. And may have also mixed in with that, brothers and sisters. Okay? Like that's, that's ordered, designed, created by God. Because it comes from God. He exists as a father and he exists as a son. Now the third point is that Jesus then creates a new family that mixes God as eternal spiritual family with earthly biological family, and he creates a new family, a new family. Now, this all dates back. I mean, this goes all the way back to, you can trace it back to Genesis 3, Um, honestly, really 1 and 2, the the entire foundation for uh, the, the history of the world, the history of our theology, Orthodox Christianity. Everything from a design perspective can be traced back to Genesis 1 through 12. It's the foundation for everything that we believe and how we are ordered and structured. Entering into Genesis 12 begins God's process for creating an earthly spiritual family. All right? And it ushers in this man by the name of Abram. Abram. And as he starts working with Abram and starts talking with Abram and starts relating with Abram, he eventually, in Genesis 15, takes Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham. He takes Abraham outside and he says, I want you to look up at the stars. Now, Abraham's old at this point. He's around the age of 75. He takes him outside and he says, I want you to look up. See the stars. They're numbered. If you could number them, so shall be your offspring. This is Genesis 15, 5 and 6. So shall be your offspring. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, at this time, Abraham has no children. He's married to Sarai, who becomes Sarah. No children. She's also old and barren in age. He's looking at Sarah thinking, first of all, if God's going to create this family of ours, this offspring of ours, he's going to have to do a miracle because we're old and you're barren. Second of all, we need to get busy because that's a lot of stars. Now, if that's Abraham looking at at Sarah in that regard, he's thinking, I don't know how this is even going to be accomplished. Again, spiritual has to come in and impact the physical in order to produce something that we can't do ourselves. And that's one of the biggest points of God is that that's how he works. He does not want to work in a way that man can come in and say, look what we did. Look what we did. So he does something, he gives a charge to Abraham that is impossible for Abraham and Sarah to accomplish themselves. In addition to that, he knows that this is going to span a lot longer and go a lot further than Abraham and Sarah. What we know just from, um, it certainly started with Abraham but this offspring, and ultimately, even going back to the promise that was given to Adam and Eve, that through her offspring would come one that would bless the families of the world. Ultimately, this offspring was going to be generational, and as you know, like it eventually creates the people of God. All right, that that we walk through the Old Testament about. So it creates Israel. It creates the people of God. Israel comes from the twelve tribes. The twelve tribes represent or come from the offspring of the the, the twelve sons of Jacob. The twelve sons that relate with Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. So it begins passing its way down so that all of those tribes represent the number and the stars of Abraham as he walked out and sees all of it. From a physical standpoint... That's also true. From a spiritual standpoint, it again goes beyond what Abraham bloodline physically can accomplish. So that it's not merely just Jews who get to be considered the family of God. Up until Jesus, that's the way that it was being played out. You were either adopted into a Jewish lineage, and there's examples of that in the Old Testament but to be considered the family of God it was coming through Jewish bloodline and if that were the case the only way that we would have been able to come in unless you can actually say you're of Jewish bloodline the only way we would be able to come in is if we either married into or were adopted into that bloodline but again God does something spiritual that Jesus starts alluding to that has to happen in order to be considered the true family of God, the true Israel. When he takes Abraham out and he's looking up at the stars, he's not just having in his mind what comes through the physical birth or physical bloodline of Abraham and Sarah. He has what ultimately is going to come through the spiritual bloodline of Jesus Christ when he covers Those who believe in him. Those who believe in him. And I want you to see this. John 3, 1 through 15, Jesus is walking around and he's ministering to people. And as he comes to this man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he says this. And Nicodemus has some questions. John 3, 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus then said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. But you did not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what Jesus is getting at here is what the Jews were still holding on to is that the promise is for those born of flesh, born of the bloodline of Abraham. If you're Jewish, you're good. And Jesus comes in telling this teacher of Israel, you must be born again. You must be born more than just your bloodline physically. You must be born into the bloodline spiritually of Jesus Christ by believing in Him and having His blood cover your sins so that you're forgiven and then ushered into the family of God. We must be born again by the Spirit of God to be considered the adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. You see, everyone, everyone has a Creator. But not everyone has a Heavenly Father. Everyone's created by God. But only those who believe in Jesus that are born again by the Spirit of God then have the Heavenly Father adopt them as sons and daughters. Listen to it in Romans 8:12 through 17. So then brothers we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die. Again, he's just driving that point home. Just because you think you are of bloodline means nothing. You trying to work your way by your flesh, by your works, by your good merit, by your lineage, by whatever you think it is. It means nothing. If you live by that, you will die. But if by the Spirit, born again, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive... again. Passive, you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself. And again, if you're going to go on, like I've got, I've got Father and I've got Son, what's the Spirit doing? Man, the Spirit is doing a lot for you, a lot. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. For those that God has come, and, and, we've, and if, if you've not seen it over the last four or five weeks, where we've kind of walked through and talked about, like, how do I have good soil so that when the Word of God is preached that I get to believe? This is where the Spirit is coming into play. He's coming in and providing you the good soil so that when the Word of God is preached, you're able to believe. And then once you're believing, He's convincing you that you are children of God and He's just preaching to your soul every single day, persevere to the end. I've got you. You're mine. You're adopted. I'm making sure that you know, believe, and treasure that you have a Heavenly Father and that you have a brother in Jesus Christ. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I love this one. When Jesus is sitting in this moment looking at His disciples with His biological family standing outside, He's looking at them and He's saying, You are my family. You are my brothers. What I receive and get you receive and get you are heirs with me what the father wants to give me he wants to give you for those who hear the word and do it for those who believe in me heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we don't like this one we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him i don't have enough time to go into the suffering of it um if you've been at the district long enough, you've either suffered or are walking into a season of suffering, walking out of a season of suffering, waiting for another season of suffering. We've talked a lot about suffering. In the end, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Father. And we ultimately, and, 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 and on, we'll get to this one as we continue walking through Luke, but we are also the bride of Christ. He's covering every base of what he's institutionalized as family. Because eventually, if you, if you track, I'll, I'll go a little bit into it. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, and we're talking about the, the, the husband and wife that were created, and they came together, and they had children. Eventually, those children are going to start marrying. And we don't need to go into that, because at that time, it was brothers and sisters. It was a little bit different. But they're going to marry and they're going to leave their father and mother and enter into a marriage with their husband and wife. Sometimes those relationships will will separate in order to join together. The beauty of what we get in heaven is we get all of it simultaneously in its fullness. We get to be the sons and daughters of the father who loves us, delights in us, spoils us, cherishes us, again, heirs with Christ. If you read Delighting in the Trinity and you see how much the Father delights in the Son and loves the Son and wants to give all things to the Son, you get to enter yourself into that position when you get to heaven. That's how much the Father is going to bless us in that, in that experience for eternity. Not only that... But when we enter into heaven, we get the fatherly relationship, but we also get the spousal relationship when it comes to the church and Jesus, our bridegroom. Every possible beautiful thing that you've experienced in marriage and what the Bible describes about marriage, we get it in its fullness when we come together as the people of God in relationship with Jesus. No, we get, and it's weird. Again, this is where illustrations break down. We get Jesus as the perfect sibling. The perfect sibling. The older brother who protects us. Truly does. But we also get the perfect spouse. The perfect spouse. And it's good that no one said amen. Because you'll be in trouble. But remember what Jesus' prerequisite was and is for those to be considered his brothers and sisters. My brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Again, letting context interpret for us, we know that you have to have ears to hear, to be spiritually awakened and reborn. And those who end up being reborn, they are joyfully obedient to God's word. They are. They don't see this as like, man, I just don't have time today. They don't see this as like a painstakingly, like, I mean, sometimes the word of God, it cuts deep but they see what it's producing in their lives. They see what it's testifying to. They see what it's leading us in. They see what it's renewing in our minds and transforming us in our hearts so that to be brothers and sisters of Christ and to be truly loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, the number one thing that we can do to love each other is to say, What is your time in the Word looking like? How is God renewing your mind as you read His Word? As you study His Word? As you meditate on His Word? How are you seeing Jesus in the Scriptures? Because if Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God, the Scriptures are the written representation of the visible Jesus. How do we know Jesus we know His Word because His Word testifies to who He is. His character. It, it's literally Him speaking to us. Like, I mean, that's why we believe the Word of God is the Word of God. It's the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And that if, it's every, if all of it is all about Jesus... And if we believe in Jesus, then we're going to want to run to His Word and do it. Because it is what is bringing life to us. It is what is driving our abiding in Jesus. You cannot, and this is where I'll say probably at least what I kind of heard about 20 years ago, kind of when I was coming into Christianity at the time, the buzzword that was going around was, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. That was kind of the buzzword of the early 2000s, all right? So everything was focused on this relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus. Not a religion, not a works. And that's where you started to trickle in. All those who only focus about the religion and the do's and the don'ts are the legalists. And that's where, you know, and, and, and it where it went pendulum swing too far was when you start having conversations with someone and you say, here's what I want my week to look like because I want my mind renewed and I want my spirit to feel joy and I want to get to know Jesus in a deeper way. So I'm going to structure my time this way. I'm going to do uh, X amount of hours reading God's word on a daily basis. I want to meditate. I want to start memorizing scripture. I want to do these things. And those who are, it's all about relationship, not religion. They start looking at that and they say, no, 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 no. You don't need to do those things. Those things are going to start making you feel guilty when you don't do them. And Christianity is not about making you feel guilty. It's about a loving, joyful, beautiful relationship with Jesus. So, so what you're saying is, have a relationship with Jesus without allowing Him to communicate with you. Have a relationship with Jesus without allowing Him to have the access to actually renew your mind and transform you. Have a relationship with Jesus because what breaks down when you're not in the Word is then prayer. Prayer teaches you how to pray. I mean, the Word teaches you how to pray. It shows you, if you don't know how to pray, look at the prayers in Scripture and just start reading them. Let them pray for you. Pray through the psalms. The psalms are just a lot of prayers. The Word transforms how you communicate with God. The Word is God's communication to you. Prayer is your communication to God. Prayer is not about you changing God. Him communicating to you changes you so that you change in how you communicate with Him. That is abiding in Jesus. It's abiding in Jesus. When it comes to John 14 and 15, is there anything else He's required us to do? Because when you're reading His Word and you're communicating with Him in prayer and your mind is being renewed and your heart is being transformed and you're becoming more like Jesus, everything else falls in line. Everything else falls in line. My brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. They do it. And they're joyfully obedient to it. The way that I want to close this out as we come to this time of communion is I want to show you, and, and, and I don't usually read through big passages like this, um, but this was just one of those ones where I was like, okay, I really feel like there's 1 Peter 1.23. Th- uh, I, I was like, this is probably going to be the verse that I go to when it comes to like transitioning this to communion. Um, and then I was like, well, let me back up. Let me look at some of the context of it. And then I was like, well, let me back up even further and then I was like, I really just want to read all of 1 Peter 1, 3 through 25 because it, it so ingrains all of these things that we've just talked about and how it makes us the family of God and what we get to receive in that and ultimately leading to the cross of Jesus. And so I want you to see this in light of everything that I just said. Starting in verse 3. I, Go turn there with me. If you're not there, go ahead and turn there with me. Or will it be on the screen? I didn't know if it would be on the screen or not. It's on the screen. You can look at the screen. It's fine. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, That's all God so far. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. All right, so if earlier you were like, we don't get what Jesus got, he's saying it. We get it, okay? It's kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. What did I tell us to do on Easter? Just rejoice in the Lord. In this, what God has done for us, we rejoice. Being born again. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, or though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. That is the salvation of your souls. Now concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving, not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I love that. You're looking at that and you're like, I don't know. What, what he's ultimately getting at there is that everything that the prophets of old preached and prophesied about has come to fruition in Jesus Christ. And the angels in heaven are looking at it in awe. They, they've never seen anything like it. Another way to say it, in other words, is, is when we get to heaven, we get to sing a song that the angels don't get to sing. We get to sing the song of the redeemed. Because they don't know what that's like. It goes deeper. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God. Who raised him from the dead. And gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. It is not in you. It's not in where you came from. It's not according to each one's deeds. But it's according to his precious blood. That he spilt out and paid to purchase us, to ransom us, to redeem us so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, brotherly love, love one another. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, born of the seed of the Spirit, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word everything we just read, this word is the good news that is preached to you. My prayer today is that we believe in Jesus because of the work that He's done and that through Him, the Father has adopted us. He's adopted us. And that in seeing His goodness and His design and what He's communicated to us through this out-of-the-world book, that we run to it joyfully to hear from our Heavenly Father. And that as sons and daughters of Him, we joyfully respond to it in obedience. We hear the Word and we do it Because we are his. We are his. We are his because as a good father, he sent his son. He sent his son to pay the sins of us as sons and daughters. So let's stand together. And let's go ahead. If you believe that and you trust in that, And you believe the goodness of Christ and what he's paid for on the cross for us. I want you to come down. I want you to grab the elements. We're going to remember this truth. We're going to celebrate this truth. We're going to honor it and proclaim it. And we're going to thank, to to stay theologically accurate, we're going to thank our brother, Jesus, for laying his life down for us so that his father could reconcile us in relationship and bring us into the true spiritual family of God. So come on down front, grab the elements, come back to your seat, and we will thank him for it. To the church in Corinth and and respectfully from God to us. He said this, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. and He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's continue that proclamation now.